Tired of blogs? <laughs> Me too. Moby Lives Radio starts now. From the intergalactic headquarters of Melville House Publishing in Hoboken, New Jersey, aka the left bank of New York City, it's Moby Lives Radio. Greetings, Earthlings. It's the 16th of November, 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson, and here's some news from the book world. Well, the shocker in New York literary circles yesterday was the announcement that Lewis H. Lapham, the longtime editor of Harper's Magazine, one of America's biggest and oldest news and literary publications, was stepping down after 30 years at the helm. Lapham started the magazine in 1971. His managing editor became uh, editor-in-chief in 1976 and during his time became one of the most influential editors in America. He was, in fact, so influential that at one point he had a show on PBS, uh, an author interview program called Bookmark. Among the writers he worked with at the magazine were Tom Wolfe, Annie Dillard, Robert Stone, T.C. Boyle, Walter Karp, Walker Percy, all the Jonathans, Jonathan Fransom, Jonathan Lethem, uh, Alan Gerganis, Marilyn Robinson, Francine Prose, David Foster Wallace, John Edgar Widerman, Mary Gates Gill, and on it went. Recent books to emerge from Harper's Pages were... Uh, Barbara Ehrenreich's smash bestseller Nickel and Dimed, James McManus's Positively Fifth Street, and on it goes. Lapham, um, who is currently on tour for a book he did with us here at Melville House called With the Beatles, a work of cultural commentary from his 60s reportage, um, has also written numerous other books and says he's got a few more projects, uh, book projects he'd like to pay attention to, but mostly he's leaving the magazine to start a new publication called Lapham's Quarterly, which is going to be a journal addressed to his interest in history. Said Lapham, after 30 years of editing Harper's, I've arrived at the point where I would prefer to read Machiavelli than listen to Carl Rove. Salman Rushdie is speaking out on behalf of earthquake victims in Kashmir. Uh, Last month's 7.6 magnitude quake killed, by some estimates, 86,000 people in Pakistan alone, maybe 1,300 more in India, and it's unknown exactly how many in Kashmir. But according to Rushdie, writing in the Times of London, with the Himalayan winter setting in, the greatest calamity of all may lie ahead of us, not behind. Unfortunately, Rushdie says the world is suffering from compassion fatigue. He called it understandable, but said the people of Kashmir deserve better than this. Again, writing in the Times of London, he said, we may be looking at the greatest natural calamity in human history. But in this case, we had the power to avert it. If we fail because we are tired of disasters or because Kashmir is far away and remote and quarrelsome and doesn't feel like our business, well, then shame on us. In other news, former senator and current Episcopal priest John Danforth, the arch-conservative from Missouri, has announced he's writing a book on religion and politics. 
or rather his publisher, Viking, has announced it. They said his Faith in Politics will be published in the fall of 2006 and will explore the widening rift between the left and the right, conservative and liberal, believer and non-believer. Danforth says now that he believes the political influence of evangelical Christians is hurting the Republican Party and dividing the country, something he knows a little about. Uh, You may recall that Danforth was the leader of the Republican effort to impeach Bill Clinton. The Yale School of Management has announced a study that says Those reviews on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com really do have an impact on what consumers buy. The study by the school's Center for Customer Insights at the Yale School of Management says that, quote, favorable reviews do increase book sales. What's more, it said negative one-star reviews do carry more weight with customers than positive five-star reviews. The impact of a negative review is more powerful in decreasing book sales than a positive review is in increasing sales, according to the site. It says consumers apparently believe that multiple glowing reviews for a book may be perceived as hype generated by an author or a publisher. And in New York, prestigious American publisher Simon & Schuster announced that its pocket MTV books imprint would be launching a new line of, quote, gritty novellas featuring rapper Curtis 50 Cent Jackson and his G-Unit rap crew buddies as characters. According to the press release, quote, these tales will tell the truth about the life that's in caps, the sex, guns, and cash, the brutal highs and short lives of the players on the street. The G-Unit books line will be starting in 2007. The first one's going to be written by Nikki Turner, who previously wrote The Glamorous Life and A Hustler's Wife. 50 Cent Jackson has been in the news lately because of a shooting at one of the screenings of his semi-autobiographical film Get Rich or Die Tryin'. And finally, in the news, Jon Stewart and his compadres David Javerbaum and Ben Carlin have been announced as winners of the 2005 Thurber Prize for American Humor for their book, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart Presents America, the book, A Citizen's Guide to Democracy in Action. Runners-up for the prize were Andy Borowitz for his The Borowitz Report, The Big Book of Shockers, and for Rosa Dumas for her Funny in Farsi, a memoir of growing up Iranian in America. The Thurber Prize, according to this AP Wire story that I'm reading, is considered the nation's top award for humor writing, and it was handed out on Monday night at the Algonquin Hotel, the legendary New York watering hole for not only New Yorker writers over the decades, but it's the location of the famous Algonquin Round Table, where great historic American humorists such as uh, George S. Kaufman and uh, Alexander Wolcott and Harpo Marx hung out. And that's the news for the 16th of November 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson.
It's November 16th, and on this day in literary history, George S. Kaufman, playwright, director, producer, humorist, and drama critic, was born in 1889. One of the most successful playwrights of his time, Kaufman suffered through each opening night, looking according to Alexander Wolcott, one of his fellow Algonquin roundtable wits, a little like the late Marie Antoinette in The Tumbrel. Kaufman was a pivotal figure in the development of theatrical writing in the 20th century, Collaborating with Mark Connolly, Moss Hart, Edna Ferber, Irving Berlin, and others, Kaufman wrote more than 40 plays, including such classics as The Royal Family, Stage Door, Animal Crackers and Coconuts for the Marx Brothers, The Man Who Came to Dinner, based on the character of Alexander Wolcott, and the Pulitzer Prize-winning You Can't Take It With You. Despite his many collaborators, Kaufman's work had a characteristic voice and tone, and his character-driven style of dialogue has had a lasting effect on all types of comedy writing. Though he had a fantastic string of Broadway successes, Kaufman was convinced that his every next venture would be a total disaster, and so he kept his day job as drama editor for the New York Times, which led, of course, to the accusations of self-promotion and influence peddling against both him and his fellow Algonquin wits. Sure, he said, there was back scratching. I've still got the scars on my back to prove it. I'm Valerie Marians, and that's this day in literary history. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. A new book by a former member of Tony Blair's government is causing a sensation in Great Britain. For more on that, I called Mark Thwaite. He's the managing editor of one of Great Britain's leading book blogs, Ready Steady Book, and he's also the Moby Lives UK correspondent. Mark Thwaite is on the line from Manchester, England. Mark, welcome to the show. And I wanted to talk to you today about the book DC Confidential by Sir Christopher Meyer, the former uh, British ambassador to the United States. Uh, the book is causing quite a fuss, as, as, as I understand it from reports in the British press. And I was wondering if you could set the scene for us, first of all. What, what, what is this book, uh, what kind of political climate is this book coming out into? Okay, it's good to speak to you, Dennis. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to set the scene for you. I think the book should be seen as um, as playing off against a scenario that's um, come around over the past couple of years. Um, when Blair um, became prime minister eight or so years ago, he was seen as a kind of very young, very dynamic prime minister. You know, he was going to change the world, um, but that's not really come about. And uh, I think increasingly people have been very frustrated with him kind of cozying up to Bush and um, obviously with the British support for the war against Iraq. Um, a lot of people have, have felt very negative towards the Prime Minister, and it's looking like it's a kind of old Prime Minister now. It's looking a very tired um, government. And um, waiting in the wings all this time is Gordon Brown, who's the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Mm -hmm. He looks after the cash and has been seen to do a sort of pretty good job with the British economy over the past eight years. Um, when um, Blair got into government again in May, when he was voted back in for his third term, and he can stand as many times as he wants, it's different to the American system. Um, he was voting for the third term, but he actually said it was you know, quite an unusual thing to do. This would be the last time he would stand. 
a lot of people worried that that would make him a, a lame duck prime minister. That's the phrase that was thrown about because Gordon Brown was sort of waiting in the in the wings, rubbing his hands, um, waiting. Some people say for any opportunity to put himself forward um, at Blair's um, at Blair's expense. And there's there's always um, stuff in the papers here about the quarrels between um, Blair and his deputy. Mm-hmm. So this is the background that this. DC Confidential book comes into it's, it's it's yet another story that seems to expose the kind of um, the dirtier dealings and the, the grubbier goings on in government per se that's played off against this background of the waning leadership of Blair and the possibility of, of Gordon Brown coming along so that's the, that's the kind of background that I think it has to be seen against so what, what exactly does does the book say well, like you, I'm reading reports. You know, I haven't yet received my copy from the publisher. Um, but the book seems to be saying that the British government um, were always in hock to the American government. And obviously this, this plays very badly over here. Mm-hmm. You know, people want to see it as a, as a strong government. Now, we know that, you know, that, that America is always the bigger partner, but, you know, there's always a hope that it is a partnership. There's always this vague hope that we will, you know, as America goes and, and blusters around the world, that we'll be the, the sensible chap that can kind of whisper in their ear not to, you know, not to go and do anything too outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, so Christopher Meyer talks about the goings-on. He talks about, the, I suppose, the, the lack of courage of the British government for standing up for itself, and this is... This is one of his main beefs is that um, the British government had a very important place to play next to America when they decided to go into Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of endorsing you know, it wholeheartedly and just saying to Bush, do what you will, the, um, Meyer, who was a supporter of the war, um, thought that the British government had a role to play of holding the Americans back until there was a real clear sense of what would be the post-war policy in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And what we know is there was no post-war policy at all. Mm-hmm. That they went in, you know, they, they killed a lot of people. Yes, they got rid of a very bad man, but they also left a very, very big mess. And yeah. there was, n- there was n- no policy mm-hmm. after, after the, you know, after the, put, put in place to sort that out. And, and May was saying that they should have been. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to sort of outline some sort of character sketches mm-hmm. of some of the main players. Mm-hmm. Such as Tony Blair? Such as Tony Blair, obviously, but also um, Jack Straw, Mm -hmm. who is the um, Home Secretary. Mm -hmm. And um, now, is he the Home Secretary? I'm saying that, and I'm not sure. Um, What about Gordon Brown? Does Does he draw a profile of Gordon Brown? He does, and I, I, I've got a quote here, that, um, and this is from the comment in the Times, um, that one of the lines um, that's been leaked uh, was that um, Gordon Brown is psychologically flawed, um, which is quite a harsh statement. Mm-hmm. This, again, plays off against that background that I've been talking about. A lot of people kind of have got the impression that Gordon Brown has basically been doing two things for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. One, running the economy pretty successfully, so it seems, um, but the other thing he's been doing is just playing power games w- with Blair mm-hmm. and just really thinking all the time, how am I going to get to be the Prime Minister? And that this, that this focus on that has, has made him a very flawed character. 
Has has uh, Christopher Meyer been seen? As, I should say it's Sir Christopher Meyer. Indeed. Has he been seen as uh, as being of either camp? Is he is he seen as pro Brown, pro Blair? Obviously I don't think he, he's, he's very critical of of Tony Blair, but it sounds like he's equally critical of Brown. Yeah, I think he's more critical of, I suppose, um, the whole way government has begun to be done under this um, prime minister. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I mean, May's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. There's stuff about um, John Major, the previous Tory prime minister, mm-hmm. um, who was prime minister, you know, before um, Blair came in, right. um, of the Conservative Party, opposite camp. And um, there is some character sketches about John Major and Sir Christopher Mayer used to kind of give them briefings. And he would give briefings to, Mayer, uh, to Major as he was getting changed when John Major's wife, Norma, was in bed. Uh-huh. And, um, and this kind of comedy sketch, which has uh-huh. is, is been kind of thrown up, um, was used by Jack Straw on the radio actually recently to condemn Mayer mm-hmm. because he, he said that the most disgraceful thing about Mayer's book was that um, how, um, how unfaithful he had been to John Major. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the Labour government is trying to sort of say that, you know, that the bad thing about Mayer is that he was nasty about the Conservatives previously. But th- this is all guff, really, because it's, 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 this is about the fact that this, you know, this, this government is beginning to you know, smell sour. Mm-hmm. If the government was honest and straightforward, mm-hmm. Mayer or any other politician or civil, civil, civil servant's revelations, you know, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't be decried, they'd just be allowed to go out. Mayor is saying that if politicians can write books that dig, you know, that that say, you know, this is what happened when I was a, you know, a politician only five minutes ago, why can't he do the same? Mm-hmm. Why can't he show how government works? And you know, there was a title in the Times um, today, the Times newspaper, which is saying that Mayor is offering us real-time history. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think there's something in that. You know, if 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 this was if this was honest and straightforward over there, people wouldn't be upset that he'd written the book. Is he in either party? I mean, I know he's in the diplomatic corps, but is no, it, it's we don't have um, political um, civil servants in this country. The civil servants are have to be seen to be neutral, mm-hmm. um, and you will work as a civil servant mm-hmm. under um, both colours of government. So my my real question is 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 Meyer seen as as uh, trying to position himself for any kind of political gain here? No, not really. It doesn't seem to be that. Um, at the moment, he has a a, a job as head of the um, press complaint um, authority, the press complaint commission here, the PCC, um, and that's a fairly important role in British life. Um, if somebody is, uh, is slagged off in the newspapers, if, if if somebody, you know, if a story is written in a particular way and somebody feels that that's unfair, that they've been unfairly represented, right. then it's the job of the Press Complaints Commission mm-hmm. to make sure that there has been probity, that the, the press have done what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's his role now. That's what he was kind of promoted to do um, once he left Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, he's bit. not a political um, app- appointee. Mm-hmm. We don't have political appointees. But people are saying now that if somebody can do so much political damage, then two things have got to happen. Either we go the American way and we do have political appointees, so you take your civil servants with you and they go when you go, mm-hmm. or they put a stop to this and they don't allow these people to write these books. Mm-hmm. 
but then Sir Christopher May is saying that he went through all the all the right hoops. He um, yeah, because he had to actually give this book into the to the. Um, I'm not sure if it's far enough. I'm not sure quite sure who they have to give it into. But this had to be passed by government before it got published. I, I believe it was delayed a bit, wasn't it? it yeah, and but um, even so, Jack Straw, I think, is the, you know the 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 boss of, of of this part of government who should have stopped it. Mm -hmm. Didn't stop it. You know, it got passed by his people. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit rich for them to say now, you know, mm -hmm. you know, this shouldn't have happened. Has it been doing political damage? Yes. Yes, it certainly has. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the papers, as you would expect, um, like I'm sure they are on the data split, you know, um, they support or don't support each camp. But it has done damage because Sir Christopher Mayer is, you know, is seen as a fairly steady establishment figure. He wouldn't be head of the pre Press Complaints Commission if he wasn't seen as being, you know, a good egg. Mm -hmm. And... Um, what he's done is he's exposed yet again a kind of a shoddy, seamier side to the government. And, and this keeps happening. Mm -hmm. You know, Every couple of weeks, mm -hmm. there seems to be something, and it's mostly obviously around the war, mm -hmm. that, um, th that makes the, th this particular uh, you know, government look tired. The first one, I suppose, was, was Robin Cook's memos. Mm -hmm. Robin Cook um, was, was, was kind of kicked out of the government. Um, well, he, he left the government because he refused to support certain aspects of the, of the Iraq war, and then he became a real thorn in their side. Mm -hmm. And since the war's happened, there's, be, there's been people doing that left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. And they're all writing books. And they're all writing books, and um, those books get you know pages and pages of free publicity because there's a feedback mechanism, of course, mm -hmm. that you know they know they're going to sell papers, and because they're in papers, the debate gets going, and then they're in more papers, and... You know, these things really do shift, and they do, they do affect the debate over here, without a doubt. Yes. Mark, last question. Seeing as how I have contacted you because you are one of the leading book bloggers in the UK, I want to just focus for a minute on the impact of books. You're, you're telling me that the recent books being written by people who have left the Blair government um, are having a big impact on the discussion. Uh, how does it work? Are they beyond the newspapers? Is this the discussion on, on television and radio news? Is this, uh, are they bestsellers? Yeah, they sell well. They do sell well. I mean, it'd be interesting to see um, how well the Christopher Mayer books does over the, over the next coming week. But, you know, um, these, are, these are big sound books. They, they get heaps of free publicity, obviously, when um, you know, extracts go in the newspapers. They get reviewed all over the place. Um, all the um, broadsheets will review them. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's about three categories of books that sell hugely well at the moment in the UK. There's cookery books, there's sports biographies, and, um, and these political books are not up there because the constituency that they're selling to is a smaller one. This is going to be, you know, a more middle-class constituency is going to buy, a, you know, a, an expensive hardback book by a government politician. So it's not going to um, reflect in sales in terms of those other books. This is not going to be a Harry Potter but in terms of a book of its sort, it will sell extremely well because of all the free publicity that it's getting and because it is feeding in, in, into, into the debate. Mm -hmm. And um, what one could only hope is that there was more, you know, more interesting critiques because effectively all Mayor is doing is saying, look at the way government works, isn't it a bit shoddy? He's not asking bigger questions than that because he doesn't need to. Well, Mark, thank you very much for coming on the show. We're going to hope to go back to you regularly on, on issues of the literary scene in the UK. Look forward to it then. You take care of yourself. Thank you. Bye-bye now.
Jessa Crispin, the proprietor of Bookslut.com and Moby Lives Chicago correspondent, is uh, in Ireland. Jessa Crispin is on the line from County Cork, Ireland. Jessa, uh, as I understand it, you have you have just recently been in Dublin doing the Irish writers uh, tourism thing. What did what did you start with there? Uh, I started with the pub crawl because I thought that would be a good introduction to uh, both the drinking and and the tourism, and um, kind of worked my way from there to uh, you know like the Dublin Writers Center and the. Uh, um, National Library, which still has the 100th anniversary Bloomsday exhibition up mm-hmm. from last year. Mm-hmm. It's, it, Bloomsday is a long, it's a long day this year, apparently. Yeah. So, so what is the Dublin Writers Museum like? What do they have in there? Uh, it's just um, your standard kind of. Uh, here's a picture of James Joyce, mm-hmm. and here's a little placard that mm-hmm. explains how, uh, you know, he, how he met Nora and. Um, this is the ha- picture of the house that he grew up in, mm-hmm. or you know he moved a lo- around a lot, so there are a lot of pictures of childhood homes, mm-hmm. and uh, then the Oscar Wilde room, and and uh, on and on from you know Oliver Goldsmith to writers I've never heard of before <laughs> in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So, but it sounds like you're familiar with some Irish literature. You've read some some Joyce, uh, some Wilde. I did. Last time I was in Ireland, I actually read Ulysses from start to finish, so uh-huh. <laughs> it was uh, quite the accomplishment, I think. Now, 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 when you're in Ireland, say, when you're doing the pub crawl, because I want to get back to the pub crawl, you run into a lot of people that have read Ulysses, do you? Oh, dear Lord, no. I'm not sure um, <laughs> anyone <laughs> has actually uh, read the book that uh, was on any of these um was on the pub crawl, uh-huh. not even Dubliners, uh-huh. um, but they know who James Dubliners, Joyce is. Dubliners, a.k.a. the easy one. Exactly. Yeah. It's short short stories. Mm-hmm. It's no problem. Uh-huh. But, um, but they but haven't even read that. No, uh, it's mostly about, uh, I'm in Ireland and I've heard of James Joyce and, hey, beer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you're talking about other Americans on the pub crawl? Uh, Americans and uh, a lot of Germans. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of Germans here for, mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and um, I think there was only one Irish person uh, on, on the actual pub crawl. But that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the pub crawl is is an is an actual organized uh, tourist attraction. You can sign up for this. Yes, it's sponsored by uh, Jameson's Whiskey, um, and it's like seven euro. And then they have two actors who take you from pub to pub and regale you with um, snippets of trivia and then drunkenly reenact scenes from various works by Irish authors. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and and uh, what are some of those uh, authors that are featured besides Joyce and, uh, and Wilde? That's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get... <laughs> Not a lot of Yates being thrown around? You don't want to get too uh, obscure when there's mm-hmm. alcohol involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started with the Beckett mm-hmm. and then moved to... Uh, uh, there was a moment where they briefly mentioned Oliver Goldsmith, but um, he put together Mother Goose. So, uh-huh. you know, you, you get that uh, uh-huh. sort of recognized name. Um, yeah, and then some uh, Oscar Wilde, they did a, uh-huh. a bit from Importance of Being Earnest, of course. And, uh-huh. then, uh, and then some Joyce, and then more drinking and then a trivia game. 
and 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 the pubs you're going to these are I take it places where where Oliver Goldsmith was was known to to, to tip one back. No. No, the They're actual pubs, pubs themselves have no historical relevance whatsoever. Um, <laughs> and, in fact, they're tourist dives. Mm-hmm. There's no Irish in any of the bars. Uh-huh. And the whiskey sex selection is just horrible. And, um, and you know, then they point in, di- in the directions where things actually happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much... Um, <laughs> they say... Over there was, was, where, was where Joyce lived, but we're going to the bar over here? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, James Joyce's bar is actually in Zurich. Um, his favorite bar in Dublin, they moved um, the entire bar to Zurich because they love him over there. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the ghost of James Joyce isn't even in Dublin anymore. <laughs> wow. Wow. So uh, when you recover from the pub crawl and you go to, what were some of the other places you mentioned? The, the, there's a writer's museum and, mm-hmm. and what else? Um, the National Library has the uh, Ulysses exhibition up mm-hmm, still, mm-hmm. and um, then there are others. There's um, the James Joyce House, and um, you know just other sort of like the Oscar Wilde parks. There's an Oscar Wilde mm-hmm, park, mm-hmm. and then the, the you know there are statues of all the writers up everywhere. Really? Yeah, the the James Joyce one is. In, there are people lined up around it to, to uh, take pictures of the James Joyce statue. Uh huh. Did you did you get your picture taken with the stone James Joyce? I did not. No, uh-huh. I bought a postcard though. <laughs> I see. And so, uh, leaving Dublin, uh, for example, you're in Cork now. Do do other cities uh, do the the same sort of thing? Do they have a writer tourism uh, business going on? Not as much. Um, the tourists part of, of Ireland tends to be um, Dublin and then, you know, like, oh, there's a castle here and yeah. some old rocks around and we'll give you a map. Um, the tourism doesn't tend to reach uh, Western Ireland as much. Uh-huh. Um, and Cork, who I'm sure has produced many wonderful writers, um, doesn't really brag about it and um, it's not really a, a destination for most people. Mm-hmm. Well, now the other the other famous thing about Ireland and writers is that the Irish don't charge writers any tax on their income. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so are you meeting writers every few feet? Um, I think that they, <laughs> I'd be right. I'd be meeting writers every few feet, even if the tax situation isn't what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, it seems to be um, expat writers mm-hmm. that mention the tax thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as also known as foreigners? Exactly. I've uh-huh. met some Americans, um, some Northern <laughs> Irish, um, and, and they moved here for uh, tax reasons because uh-huh. they wouldn't be taxed on it. Uh-huh. Uh, and and it, it is a little bit complicated as far as what's eligible for not being taxed and yeah. what yeah. isn't. Um, they, they, they consider bloggers writers? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that actually qualifies. Uh-huh. Well, you never know. Yeah. So. But... Um, but yeah, no. I mean, I was talking about this with uh, the uh, editor of Books Ireland, uh, Jeremy Addis, and mm-hmm. he was saying that um, yeah, I, the Irish would be writing anyway. Mm-hmm. They can't help themselves. They can't help themselves. Well, um, so so in County Cork now, you're you're not able to find any any sign of an Irish uh, writer tourism trade, but you are you are finding your share of writers. Uh, yes. And and do do they know Bookslot.com? 
I haven't really asked. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've been pretty anonymous. <laughs> you haven't run into any Irish book bloggers yet? No, not not a one. I'm, um, sh- I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they are. The, the, you can't throw a stick without hitting one of these things. Well, Irish book bloggers, if you're listening, Jess is in County Cork. I don't know how long before she, she goes back to uh, to Dublin to, to do the pub crawl again, <laughs> but uh, that's where you'll find her. Jess, uh, thanks for your latest report. We'll talk to you when you're back stateside so you can really speak your mind. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> and that's our show for today. Our thanks to our UK correspondent Mark Thwaite in Manchester and also to our Chicago correspondent Jessa Crispin in, uh, in, in Ireland. Jess, I hope you're not driving the plane coming home. Our thanks also to engineer Andrew Steinmetz and to the crew at Melville House, Mallory Marians, Kelly Burdick, and Becky Kramer. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be talking to a librarian about Google Print, and we'll also be talking to our Texas correspondent, Michael Schaub, about Kiki Friedman's run for governor of Texas. Hey, worst things that come out of Texas. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, don't forget, that whale is out there, man.